This is iFanboy Pick of the Week 666, brought to you by Harry's. Get a $13 trial set that comes with everything you need for a close, comfortable shave by going to harrys.com slash iFanboy. And iFanboy listeners just like you. Carry on my wayward son. There'll be peace when you are done. Lay your weary head to rest. Don't you cry no more. My fanboy pick of the week, 666. My name is Connor Kilpatrick, and sitting in this week for Josh Flanagan, Ryan Haupt. Hey, everybody. Welcome. I guess Josh was scared off. Yeah, well, you know, he's not here to partake the evil sacrament with us, I guess. <laughs> and we are I fanboy, and every week we read a bunch of comics. One of us picks their favorite book, called it the pick of the week. We talk about that book on the show, as well as other books that came out. Do the patron picks and patron powers, maybe some listener mail if we have time. And mostly, we just try to have a good time for us and for you, for everyone, for the world. It's our gift to the world. It's a meager gift, but it's, it's what we got. And there's no return receipt. Sorry. <laughs> Here's your spoiler warning. This is a review show. There'll be some spoilers. So if you are worried about that, exercise some caution. This week, Ryan had the pick. Sure did. And uh, I picked somebody who would hate the magical episode 666 <laughs> title, and that's Superman appearing in Superman, issue number seven, story by Brian Michael Bendis, art by Ivan Reese, Brandon Peterson, and Jason Fabok, or Fabok? Fabok, I think. Fabok. Inks by Eau Claire Albert, Brandon Peterson, and also Jason Fabok, as ink in his own stuff. Colors by Alex Sinclair, letters by Josh Reed, and Carlos M. Mungual. It was a book that is kind of split into two distinct parts, which is why the art team is a little bigger than usual, because the art style is, is done by one team for the first part of the book, and then the other team by the second part of the book. And Jonathan Kent who we were all kind of okay with being gone, <laughs> is back. But because it's Bendis, it's not bad. Well, it's funny that Josh is gone because he loves relativity stories. Yep. And this is a story of relativity. We've already seen the tease. Well, some sort of situation in which Jonathan Kent, and this has been teased before, was gone for mere weeks on Earth, but because of their, their space travel... He has been gone for years uh, for him and, and stupid Jarrell. So he's now, I don't know, late teens. He said he was 16 or 17. So he's gone from being like 12 to six, 17. So he's gone for five years of his own time. It's weird that they're doing this right when Connor Kent, Superboy, is coming back. But that's maybe neither <laughs> here nor there. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, he's back. Superman is very excited. And even just the first page is a full page spread where... Jonathan is ready to be done hugging his dad, but Superman's like, nope, still hugging. And yep. there were just a lot of really funny and sweet moments in this issue that the, every time I, you know, it was one of the first issues I read because I was, I'm legitimately excited to learn what the story of where Jonathan was is, mm -hmm. is going. And then uh, it was the book that as I read through the rest of my stack, it was the one that my mind just kind of kept drifting back to these smaller moments that I liked while still setting up a story that I'm interested to see where it goes. Right. My absolute favorite moment is is sexy Lois not realizing her kid is back. <laughs> well, she she was ready for some afternoon delight because she's I guess got writer's block and any excuse to not write. Yep, we've all been there. Clark shows up at her window. And she's like, "Well, hello," and you know that was that was a great <laughs> moment too. It's becoming a cliche on the show at this point to say Bendis is really destroying the Superman book, but he he's in a good way. But he is really doing. A, 
a terrific job, even with a character like Jonathan, who I don't really care for, even with a character like Lobo, who I outright dis- disdain. Uh, this was a really terrific book. And even the stupid Jor-El stuff, which I just wish they would just have it go away. But you're right. It was filled with so many great little character moments. And the story is interesting. So what happened to Jor-El and Jonathan in space? Why does Jonathan have a scar? I mean, yeah, why does Jonathan have a scar? He shouldn't be able to scar. That was one of the reasons that actually pushed this over the line to being the pick is because I didn't really notice the scar until the final page where it's drawn in such a way where the scar is really obvious and it's, it's literally the center of the panel. Mm-hmm. And then you go back and I look through the rest of the book and the scar has been there the whole time, but I didn't notice it. And Bendis is too good a writer for me to not think that that means something. For sure. I mean, well, the... The panel you're talking about, in which the scar is the centerpiece, is when he's saying Grandpa's completely insane. Yeah. And so, clearly, something went wrong. You know, it's a fun dynamic. Maybe Jonathan will be more palatable older. We'll find out. There's also real tragedy, too. And when Lois hugs her kid, she had been up with him, at, but almost immediately came home, realizing she's missed five years of his life. You know, she says, oh, no, I missed everything. And she's hugging him. That was a really sweet moment, too. It was just a... Bendis is tapping into his own parentage really well here and doing a terrific job under the the circumstances. And I have a soft spot for any time a character who's not Clark is out in the world, especially the wider world of the galaxy, mm-hmm. and they realize the importance of the symbol of the House of L and like people are treating Lois as if she's a, a saint or, you know, some sort of holy messenger for Superman. And I just I like when characters who see Superman as Clark, this dude they want to get down with as like, oh, but he's like a god to people out right. in the sticks. And, you know, it's it's a cool juxtaposition that doesn't happen with a lot of other characters. Yeah. And it's emotionally overwhelming for Lois to be treated like a godlike figure for wearing because she gets her own Superman suit that helps her survive in space. It reminds me of there, you know, it's not a great movie, but the scene in the second Matrix movie Reloaded where they come back to Zion and everyone treats Neo like the savior Christ that he's being symbolized as. It has that sort of vibe to it where there's just like this extreme deference just by seeing somebody wearing the Superman symbol. No other character has that same level of inspirational, aspirational symbolicness, I think. If you're a Kryptonian, do you only space travel to galaxies with a yellow sun? Well, yeah, uh, solar systems, but yeah. yeah. No, because, I mean, wasn't there's been things about how, like, it's not that it's a yellow sun specifically, it's the age of the star. And so uh, Krypton had a very old star, a giant red, uh, red giant star, which mm-hmm. is the type of star our star might become at the end of its current life cycle. And so there was an... Jeff Johns did an issue where Superman went to a much younger solar system that had a blue sun and all of his powers were supercharged. Hmm. Interesting. So it has something to do with the age of the light being produced. Sure. Which, yeah. <laughs> Either Whatever. way. Yeah, I mean, Superman continues to be good. This is my, of the two books, I prefer action only because I like that story more. I, I don't care so much about the Jonathan story as, a, as opposed to the, the crime story going on in action, but... This was a really terrific issue. And when you told me that this was the current front runner, I hadn't read it yet. And when I did read it, I was like, yep, I get it. Nice. It was a very good issue. You know, it's funny. We talked last time I had the pick was my first time having the pick. And it was a week where it was really hard to find a standout. And this week, there were a lot of really good books. But it was even still uh, the pressure of having to make a pick is a that's that's a really intense. I don't want to let the people down. It was a strange week. There was a lot of number ones from Marvel there were a lot of good books. It just was a, there was a lot of 
I think really solid books. I don't know if there were a lot of great books. There were a couple of great, I thought, great books. This was one of them. Yeah, there were a lot of, as you'll see as we continue to discuss, there were a lot of middle pieces of stories that were solid that, Mm -hmm. you know, work with what came before and set up things that are to come. But beyond that, you know, it's that just another good issue syndrome. Yeah, for sure. And the thing is with Bendis, his another good issue of Superman has been really terrific. So we're continuing to ride it until it stops being that way. Yep. Let's talk about the return of the anthology to the big two world with Marvel Comics Presents number one, which was a anthology when i was a kid that i used to really love i love anthologies especially in in the big two universes they're not overly popular because they don't tend to be quote-unquote important but i like being able to play with short stories what's interesting about this one which has three stories one is a wolverine story one's a captain america story one is a namor story is that the namor story i think tied a little bit into invaders which we're going to talk about in a minute uh, at least obliquely yeah it they definitely share I mean, there's a, there's a big World War II block yeah. happening right now, which is interesting. So I guess the Wolverine story is going to continue, which is also not unusual for this book. They had continuing stories. This is where you had the Weapon X story that, that gave us uh, nominally Wolverine's origin that went through, went through Marvel Comics Presents. So it's not unusual to have a, a continuing thread throughout these books and have just single stories around them. But we have a Wolverine story in World War II. We have, we have a Namor story in which... Which is my favorite one of the three, written by Greg Pak, art by Tom Coker. And then a Captain America story, which I didn't feel good about. I feel like I was tricked into reading a Greg Land book. I felt like I was tricked into reading a G.I. Joe after-school special thing, you know, like the more you know sort of thing. It was very... The Captain America one? Yeah, it had a weird morality play vibe to it that I didn't necessarily care for. Yeah, and with the art, so Captain America meets a, a young girl and i couldn't tell if she was supposed to be 25 or 13 or at one point she's standing next to cap she's like three feet tall and then later on she's much taller it just it's another greg land problem inconsistency in his art i didn't like that story and i like andesenti a lot but i didn't like that story yeah at least i couldn't tell who he was using to trace cap mm-hmm. but i agree yeah yeah it uh, yeah, the story didn't do much for me. The art it wasn't as offensively bad as some of Greg Land's previous offerings, but didn't do anything for me. I think I agree that the Namor story is the strongest, except were you surprised that Namor can survive an atomic blast? Yeah, so the, the Namor story, I guess we'll go backwards to the issue, the name is the middle story, and in that one, it's, it's the story of him being caught in the in the bomb drop on Japan. So what happened in the, in the, in the canon, I, and I, I could be wrong here because it's been a long time since they've really focused on Namor, but... He did suffer amnesia. That's why he attacked the surface world in Fantastic Four. He had amnesia, and he he was so he was sort of didn't know who he was for a while. So here they're saying that when he tried to stop the bomb on Nagasaki, he was caught in the blast, and he he has amnesia in the ruins of Japan. That's what they're saying. I mean, that's pretty powerful if you get hit in the head with an atomic bomb, and all it does is knock out some of your memories. He looks a little more gaunt. He does. He does. To me, I didn't realize Namor was that powerful. Well. There seems to be a Namor essence going on, so maybe they're Why? redefining how powerful. Do you need that? He's awesome. Is it because Aquaman's making a ton of money, or he's one of the best Marvel characters ever. Okay, I was going to ask you if you had Namor feelings, and I think you're making that clear. Yeah, he's now. terrific when he's written correctly. He's terrific. Tom Coker's artist is really great. I like the Great Pack story. Then the the Wolverine story with Charles Soul. I, I also before we move on to the Wolverine story, Namor fights a giant robot with a giant human brain in the jungles of Argentina. That's Didn't right. know I needed that, but I definitely did. 
Was this the one where he went because there's an outpost of Nazis there? Yep. I, I was there was a lot of Namor this week, so it was a little. There are like, Nazis in Argentina. What? So, <laughs> that was good. And then Charles Soul and Paulo Segura doing a Wolverine in World War II story. I didn't really like this story either. I just felt like I was missing something. And that's how I felt about a lot of Charles Soule's writing of late. Every time I read something, I'm just like, wait, what did I miss before? Why am I not following what's happening very well? Like, why is Wolverine popping his claws in World War II? I, I didn't think he did that very much. Like, uh, it's just, yeah. I made it about five pages into The Return of Wolverine this week. And I said, you know what? I'm done with this. It just, I don't know. I, I don't know if Charles Soule's spreading himself too thin because he writes a million things or what. I feel like I'm not connecting with anything he's doing right now. Which is a bummer, because I used to really like what he was doing. But right now, it's not so much. And it was the only one of these three that wasn't a complete story, which you said you don't mind. But for me, it's like, I I guess if I go into the anthology, knowing that it's one of those anthologies that's just setting up future books that I'm going to have to go get, that's fine. But I was hoping for three. I don't know that it's setting up future books. I just know in the past, they would have running sto- stories that would run for, for like five or six issues. And then that would end, and then it'd be another story. Gotcha. So there would be three different stories, and two of them would be complete, and then one of them would run through several issues. Gotcha. To keep you reading. Uh, you know, that's the thing with the anthology is you roll your dice. Sometimes you'll get you'll get three good ones. Sometimes you'll only get one good one. Sometimes you you don't you know, you just don't know. And that's sort of the exciting thing about it. I really like the Tom Coker, Craig Pox story. So for me, this was a success, even if I really only liked one of the three stories. Yeah, I mean, Greg Pock is very good at writing back when superheroes were science heroes sort right. of stories. That's that's definitely in his wheelhouse. It's not the only tool he has, but he's good at it. You know what's weird is that the Cap story wasn't a World War II story. It's true. Which is strange. Why make two of the three stories World War II stories and then use the third story with the World War II character and not have a World War II story? It's strange. Yeah, I'd be curious to hear some behind the scenes on this, and I, I, I wonder t- to what, if any degree, they might have had an old script lying around, and they were like, oh, we should have somebody draw this. Yeah, it's weird. I think halfway through the story, I was like, wait, when, when, I think when Iron Man showed up, I was like, wait a minute, this isn't a World War II story. Yeah, the Iron, the Iron Man thing threw me off, because it starts off with Cap on his motorcycle, and his costume is consistent enough over the years that you're, you might be seeing something from World War II. Yeah. yeah. So, so you read the new Marvel digital series? The Jessica Jones? Mm-hmm. Yes, um, I, I read the first run of it that uh, Kelly Thompson did, and I believe with the same artist. So this is Jessica Jones' Purple Daughter number 1 by Kelly Thompson and art by Mattia de Luis. And um, the first series of this, I was you know skeptical because we just talked about what the great work that Bendis is doing over at DC, mm-hmm. uh, how that's sitting with us. And so of all the characters that he created, even more so than like Miles Morales, I was worried about Jessica Jones right. and making sure that... I think you guys talked about leaving Miles on the shelf for a little while after Bendis left to, to let the kind of dust settle. But I felt that more strongly about Jessica Jones. And then they gave this series to Kelly Thompson. You know, you guys talked about last week. I have hit or miss feelings with some of her work as well. But for whatever reason, this book really works for me. Mm-hmm. And the first series she did with it, I thought was great. I thought the art was great. I thought there were some really interesting stylistic choices of like the way Jessica's kind of memory expresses itself in panel by showing Polaroids on top of aspects of the characters that she's noticing about them as if she was surveilling them and taking notes. Uh-huh. So there's just some really cool visual touches and I just, the characterizations, you know, they're drawn obviously to look a lot more like the, the TV series <laughs> characters, but it's still written in a way that feels authentically 
the Bendis style of Jessica Jones to mm-hmm. me. And I, you know, I read the alias stuff years ago and I haven't, I haven't read it since, uh, I read the most recent series that Bendis did before he left, but I haven't revisited the, the original, original stuff in a long time. And what's happening right now is Jessica and Luke have their daughter, Danielle, and they ended up killing the purple man. So the purple man tried to go good in the last series, yes, but right. Jessica was never able to trust him on that. And then they eventually ended up killing him and captain Marvel, Carol Danvers threw him into the sun, threw his body into the sun. Right. And then Jessica went through some other stuff and then she came home one day and her baby was purple. Mm. I definitely read that one. So this is the fallout of that. And it's a lot about how, like when you've been through the sort of, mind fuck that jessica jones went through you can't trust any aspect of reality like how does jessica know that her baby hasn't been purple this whole time and the purple man told her to see your kid as normal looking until he died right and so there's all these deep dark ugly questions of like is this baby even really luke's or is something even more terrible happening here and luke is having those feelings too and so their relationship is under a lot of strain because wouldn't wouldn't other people have seen the scene that's I mean, but that's the thing is like Jessica just can't trust her memory at this point because the purple man's power is so insidious and has snaked its way into her very being. So it's a really good mystery for somebody who's a detective, but who can't necessarily trust their own ability to detect things to solve. And I think it's it puts the character in a really interesting conundrum. It seems like the pieces are set up well enough that there will be a, a, a good resolution good and in that it will make sense as the story is told, but not necessarily a happy ending mm-hmm. and i don't know it's just it's firing for me on all cylinders and i'm le- i'm enjoying it as i read it and i'm really looking forward to figuring out where it goes next and at one point you know jessica is trying to team up with like the purple man has all those kids out in the world yep. but jessica doesn't really trust the kids either and so like there's this great sequence where she has to like sneak up on one of them and punch them hard enough in the head that they stay knocked out long enough for Jessica to like dunk them in the river in the Hudson river or whatever. I don't know. Manhattan rivers and <laughs> East river. Sorry. Checking that. Yeah. <laughs> Dirty. You know, she's trying to figure out like, how can I work with somebody who actually knows the purple man and might know if he's still alive or hiding out without accidentally getting under their sway again. And so it, there's just a lot of fun, tricky problems for a person like Jessica to have to solve. Who's, you know, not always the most stable or capable person at the best of times. I find the best way to ask for help is to sneak up and punch somebody in the head. And then go to the bar and, and say, leave the bottle, which she does several times in this episode. And there's like a Purple Man support group at one point that she goes to that reminded me a lot of the Spider-Man Jarvis support group. Mm, yep. So, yeah, it's just there's there's a lot of interesting, interesting things in it. And I, I legitimately really like uh, Mattia's artwork. So I'm enjoying looking at it as much as I am reading it. Yeah. Firing on all cylinders. Hawkman number eight. It's funny because I, I hate when the only Hawkman story being told is about his origins, which is all they seem to be able to do. And that's what this book is about. However, it's just different enough, and it's just well done enough. Robert Venditti is writing it, Brian Hitch is drawing it with several inkers, that I'm really enjoying it. Even though, at my core, I hate that they can only just tell the same story over and over again. And by same, I mean only about his origins. The last issue was the big origin reveal. Yeah, I mean, this this is a big change in him in that not only does he reincarnate through time, he does through space, so he's all over the galaxy, and and also he was some sort of, like, death bringer, you know, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, and now he is atoning for all the death he brought by being reincarnated as a hero over and over, and he has to save as many lives as he killed as a death bringer before he can finally find peace. Fine. 
my problem is then just let's do that and move forward. But we're still dealing with the origin. I don't know how long we're going to be dealing with the origin for, with this book or whether or not the next time we see Hawkman, it'll be about his origin. But at least while they're doing it here, it's being executed really well. And here we, t- we deal with with um, with Carter going to Krypton right before it explodes because he was also on Krypton. As I said, he reincarnated it through time and space. So he was also a Kryptonian. I'm sorry, I keep looking at the Bill Sienkiewicz variant cover and it's so mesmerizing. With the um, with the like welding lines on the helmet, yeah, and the That's the mace, such a nice the, touch. The mace out of focus, right in the foreground. Yep. God, it's a good cover. This was another fun issue. I really like this series, despite all my my better judgments. Uh, I enjoyed this issue as well. I this issue was the thing I was looking forward to most from the promise of this book. For whatever reason, when I heard the whole Hawkman of Krypton, I was like, "Ooh, I like that idea." Because mm-hmm. I, I I always liked that you know Nightwing got his name from a Kryptonian folk yeah. hero, and I always thought that was just like a fun way to keep the legacy of Krypton alive beyond just Superman and the House of L. Yeah. I didn't love that it was a destruction of Krypton story. <laughs> I, I wish it had been like Golden Age of Krypton, or yeah, I guess Golden Age of Krypton, Silver Age of Comics, right? Krypton. So it's it was weird that the issue is mostly just a conversation between these two men that are the same person as the world crumbles around them, and we find out that you know he knows Jor El, and he's like, oh yeah, Jor El's kid. Oh, that they're launching him in a rocket. That's weird. And <laughs> oh yeah, Kara, she's one of my students, and uh, I hope she's doing okay. And that part of it was weird. But on the whole, I just enjoyed conceptually that, yeah, Carter All was over on uh, over on Krypton. I mean, we're at issue eight here. And obviously the cliffhanger is that these, is it, what, what is their name? Deathbringers. I was right. Death, the Deathbringers yeah. have returned and they're at Earth. So hopefully this will be resolved in some way because they can't do this story forever. Or maybe they can't. But I don't know if people are going to read it forever. Eventually, you're gonna to have to move forward and just tell Hawkman stories. Were you surprised they didn't kiss? Felt like they might have kissed at one point. <laughs> Felt like they were building to that. So they, they when they touch hands, yeah. He like, what is what is the Kryptonian see? Oh, he sees the aftermath. He sees all the the the, the, the asteroid in space from blown up Krypton. It would have been nice if he got to see like Earth or, you know, Kara or somebody just more than just the asteroids. But whatever. I'd like this issue a lot. Actually, it was one of my one of my more favorite issues of the week. Cool. Another great issue was Conan the Barbarian number two. Big surprise. Last issue was Pick of the Week. Jason Aaron, Mahmoud Arsrar on art. It's just, it's just, a, it's just a satisfying comic book. This was very classic Conan. Yeah. Uh, this was Conan is in in the jungles on the edge of civilization, even by Conan standards, and dealing with some very obviously Native American coded looking people who are called Picts, which is the, isn't that the group of people that lived in England before the Britons arrived there? Probably. I mean, this is, I, I, I never, I guess I never really considered Conan to be like a real earth type setting. I always just thought it was some sort of like, you know, magical place, but this is, I guess they're setting this up as him and being in sort of pre medieval times. Yeah. It's, it's always unclear. Like he comes, you know, the continent is called like Hyboria. And Sumerian supposedly is supposed to be some sort of like Highlander type. The Picts race. were people who lived in eastern and northern Scotland in the, yeah. in the Iron Age and medi- early medieval time. Conan, because the magic in Conan tends to be more subdued than other fantasy, this to me was always more of a potentially in our real world just before, because you know, it's like they say before the oceans or before Atlantis sank into the oceans. So right. it could just be prehistory. Right. In, in the magical time. 
still yeah. before magic went away. I always imagine Conan taking place roughly at the same time, like events in the Bible and the Old Testament are happening. Mm-hmm. And okay. I know that spans, you know, if you take that as a literal history, it, expa- it still spans a couple hundreds or thousands of years. But I still think of like, this is maybe what was happening up in Northern Europe around the time where other stuff that we have historical records of were happening in the Middle East. That's that's my that's always been my interpretation of it. And that's personal to me. I'm not basing that off of any actual knowledge. Well, it's amazing that people survived with all the ghost snakes running around. Yeah, those are creepy. So Conan uh, encounters the Picts, and he wants to kill as many Picts as possible because they killed some of his friends. But of course, a bigger foe appears in the giant ghost snake, which is a, I don't even know how big, but a giant monster-sized snakes. They're about as big as snakes actually did get in the fossil record to scare the bejesus out of you. Don't, don't say those things. <laughs> Titanoboa was about a 42-foot snake that lived in South America right after the dinosaurs all died out. What? Yeah. God damn it. All right, well, they have to team up to fight the snakes, and then Conan gets hurt, and they, they revive him in their village, where he sort of becomes slowly over time accepted amongst the, the Picts, which, again, are, as, as you said, are very very clearly Native American analogs. They have to destroy the all the ghost snakes in the area if the Picts are going to survive, and so they do that, and Conan leaps. Because he's Conan, and there's no sentiment for the barbarian. Even though the men deign to share their wine and the women deign to share their beds, he must return to places where the wine doesn't flow as sweet because he's back amongst civilization. I do have to say he doesn't look as intimidating wearing that helmet. The helmet has always struck me as an odd choice. And it clearly, I mean, I guess it must just be something from the original pop art inspirations of Conan. But I've always thought that it's a it's a weird, dinky looking little helmet. It doesn't look very scary he he for some reason he it's like it almost looks like a too small for his head mm-hmm. and he just looks kind of silly wearing it agreed i like my cone in bare chested with a you know little loincloth or something similar i mean in this issue he's wearing he's wearing as i've discussed on the show before he's wearing the boots where the top of the boot folds over a little bit captain america style i'm a big fan of that boot style can't deny that are they putting him in the marvel universe is that what i read what? I hadn't heard that. I don't know if that's true or not. Maybe that's thinking Conan O'Brien. Maybe that's true. This is a great book. And as I mean this this is a book that could have been pick of the week. I'm sure it'll be one of those books where it could be pick of the week every week. You guys didn't talk about it last time when this was the pick, but one of the first books that got me back into reading comics regularly was when Kurt Busick did his run for Dark Horse on Conan. Oh, that's yeah, we remember we talked about that book on the Search Trash read that book. And it's relevant right now because Carrie Nord is doing art on Wonder Woman, and he's the guy who did the first couple of arcs with Kurt Busiek on Conan. He isn't in the last couple of issues, Wonder Woman. But let's talk oh, yeah. about Mars Attacks number four, which is really interesting because, first of all, I love this book, but also, you know, the first three issues were very similar. So the, the son rescues his father from the old folks' home as the Martians are attacking, and for the last three issues, they've been running around, you know, narrowly escaping getting zapped by the Martians as they run into from group to group as those groups get killed and they escape and to run to the next group. And so I was thinking, you know, I'm really enjoying the book. It's funny. The art's terrific, but it's a little repetitive. And then of course, as I'm thinking that reading this, they really just switch gears on you and things change in a big way. Yep. I mean, this, you, you mentioned to me that this was also in the running. This could have been pick of the week as well. I think if I've been, yeah, kidding. Probably not a lot of people are reading this, so I won't necessarily spoil what happened, but the book will not be the same moving forward. 
also for such a cartoony art style, which, you know, on this show is not used in a derogatory fashion. Yeah. The, the moment that we're talking about is done so cinematically yes. where the timing and the pacing of what's happening panel to panel is the tension ramps up in a really dreadful kind of way. That's pretty like it's pretty awesome to behold. Like it's a really well-crafted moment of comic book storytelling. Oh, that page is amazing. Yeah. And then you have the diehard moment in which he has a machine gun too. Mm-hmm. So now that one of our, <laughs> one of the main characters has, <laughs> has a ray gun. This turned on a dime in a great way without losing the feel of the book. It's not like suddenly the book got super serious because it's always been somewhat serious, but always somewhat goofy. It's still somewhat goofy. I really loved this issue. I'm really happy that they did this now because they sort of lulled you into a false sense of complacency about what the book was, and then they, they pulled the rug out from under you. It was great. Yeah, agreed. That's why I was in the running. Right, let's talk about Harry's. And so we're in January. A lot of people make the New Year's resolutions. I noticed that the gym is quite full. All the people who want to get back in shape, they are free now to go back to not being in shape and let me back into my gym. But the great thing about Harry's is that it ties into some of your New Year's resolutions. So maybe you were thinking you'll be smarter with your personal finances. Well, Harry's can help you do that by saving you about $100 a year if you're a regular shaver. Or maybe, as I mentioned, taking better care of yourself, just presenting a better you to the world. Well, Harry's can help you with that. Harry's products have won tons of awards, including 2018 Esquire Grooming Award. They'll keep you looking and feeling great when you use Harry's products. That's what I love about Harry's is whenever I use Harry's, I feel better afterwards. I feel better after I've shaved. I have expanded my box every other month to getting soaps now, too. So there's a whole line of products you can get, not just shaving equipment, but I have my body wash, and there's a bar soap, and there's all, there's creams now you can get. And you can just look and feel great after using Harry's, and that's why I use it every, every day. And now Harry's wants you to start the New Year's off right. So they created a trial offer. You can claim yours by going to harrys.com slash ifanboy. Harry's founders were tired of paying for razors that were overpriced and overdesigned, and so they, they knew a great shape doesn't come with gimmicks like vibrating heads and flex balls or handles that look like spaceships. They just want you to have a great razor. And they fixed that by combining a simple, clean design with quality, durable blades at a fair price. They bought the factory in Germany to make their own blades. They received 20,000 five-star reviews on Trustpilot and Google as a result of all this work. And Harry's replacement cartridges are just $2 each. They get rid of the upcharges that are that are about half the price of what you have to pay for your, your blades. 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, let, you just let them know and they'll give you a full refund. Harry's is a real commitment to making you look and feel better. And now here's our offer for, with Harry's. Get a $13 value trial set that comes with everything you need for a close, comfortable shave, including a weighted ergonomic handle, a five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and a trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel, and travel blade cover. You get all that in your trial shave set. Listeners of our show can redeem that trial shave set at harrys.com slash ifanboy. Make sure you go to harrys.com slash ifanboy to redeem your offer and let them know we sent you to help support the show. And we thank everyone who does that, and we thank Harry's. You'll feel better, trust me. Good razor blade will change your life. Fantastic Four number six. Yeah, how are you feeling about this book? Are you reading it? I am reading it. How are you feeling? I like it. Slot did a really great job with Silver Surfer, and so I think this corner of the world, I think he works for me. I mean, Dan Slott famously still writes in the Marvel style, so what better book to actually do that on? Right. Everything he does doesn't always work for me, but here it it works. And I like these characters, obviously I like these characters, but I think, but he has that bombastic Marvel style. It feels like it's in the realm of Kirby and Lee. Even if everything doesn't necessarily make sense, it's always a lot of fun to read. And, you know, here we have 
Galactus has showed up and Doom wants to stop him and he doesn't want any help from the Fantastic Four and that causes conflict. I liked it. What were your thoughts on it? I think I like it. I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm liking it. I definitely really enjoyed when the thing landed in the goat pen and freaked out all the goats. <laughs> if we were still doing panels of the week, the panel where he's slamming into the ground, yes. and all these goats are just, all these goats are just going blah. I would have <laughs> included, and then the old woman comes out and yells at the Fantastic Four for scaring her goats <laughs> because she's bought into all the Latvian propaganda that the Fantastic Four are terrible. Well, they <laughs> they proved it by destroying her goat farm, but. I actually liked right before that when they're falling out of the sky and Reed, you know, becomes a parachute for Sue. But <laughs> things like, what about me? He's like, sorry. It's like, yeah, I get it. And so he just goes down like a rocket. And it's little moments like that that I really like. Uh, and the Aaron Cooter on art is never a problem for me. Yes, he's very good. He is very good. And he does these big galactus stories really well. I like this Doom. Doom is always a little silly. There's all, there has to be like a tinge of silliness with Doom. Just a tinge. Well, because he's just so arrogant. Right. You can't let that level of arrogance just exist and be taken seriously. You have to, there has to be an aspect of taking him down a peg. I like it. It's classic Doom, you know, no modified costume, no nothing else. It's just classic green and gray Doom. And uh, yeah, I like it. It seems like the, the only thing that seems like they haven't really figured out, and granted, this is sort of one issue into the new status quo after the big wedding issue, but they don't seem to, to have a good handle on what to do with franklin and val right now yeah if when this arc ends and maybe like there's a new team or status quo established and they have a clearer place in this story and in this family as opposed because they've been on all these adventures but now they're just two kids sitting out on the sidelines rightfully pointing out that like hey dr doom is my godfather i could probably talk to him and franklin's like and i'm also as powerful as galactus so i could probably do something here and so to leave them just literally on the sidelines doesn't make sense to me, and maybe it will make sense, but that's the only part about this book that isn't working for me so much right now. Maybe Franklin shouldn't have dyed his hair blue. They can't let him out like that. Yeah. <laughs> much like Jonathan Kent, after their adventure in space, they're older. So yeah. maybe there is a plan for them. Who knows? I mean, there was a sense that this sort of happened quickly. They, they basically left the middle of the thing's uh, marriage to Alicia to deal with this. So maybe, I don't know. It's also a weird Lannister moment where Johnny Storm is complaining that his sister is making herself invisible to change clothes. I'm like, Johnny, that's weird. That Stop. was weird, and that's the kind of weirdness that sort of drove me away from Slot's Spider-Man book. Also, the costume sort of changed, and when they first you know, they revealed their new costumes, the fours have a black background, and then later in the issue, they're, they're back to the classic white background, four logos. Hmm. I, I noticed, I I noticed that halfway that. through. If you look on... Uh, oh, you're right. Yeah, when yeah. they first reveal the costumes, they got the fours are, are over black, like the rest yep. of their costume, and then later on in the end, they're over white, which seems like a coloring mistake. Nope, Franklin changed reality. That's what happened. Oh well. I wanted to mention that Catwoman number seven was my favorite issue of the series so far. Joel Jones uh, writing, art by Elena Casagrande and Fernando Blanco. We talked about great construction and pacing in Mars Attacks, and something very similar happened in this issue of Catwoman. It's part one of a two-part story with Penguin who has showed up in her fake Southern California town of Villa Hermosa to call upon Selena for a job, but he does it in a very um, brutal way. And there's just some, there's a, there's a terrific sequence in which he gets her attention. And it's the, the, the pacing, it was like, it was a great bit of pacing from, from Joel Jones. I loved it. Also, there's a great scene where, <laughs> where Penguin's driver from the airport picks him up and he just won't stop yeah, talking to him. So he shoots him in the head. And I laughed out loud. It is gruesome. 
There's a couple of times I've wanted to just do that to the guy driving the taxi. Just, just please. This is a long ride. Fight scenes in Aquaria stress me out. Sure. As a person who, you know, is a very fond of animals, it, mm. it, I get stressed out when like the gra- the the glass starts cracking, and I'm like, don't no, the the fishies. But um, this book also just consistently makes me want to get a burrito. Yeah, that's that too. It's very believably Southern Californian. Where he's sitting in front of the aquarium and he blows up the the not Santa Monica Pier. It was just so well done. Mm-hmm. Very cinematic. I was sort of blown away by it. That this, and this book's been really good, but this has been my favorite issue so far. There's a, The B story has been about that crime family, which is not so interesting. The And the art was good. I mean, obviously, Miss Joel Jones' art, but Elena Casagrande is really good. And Fernando Blanco as well. So this is a great issue. I also wanted to talk about James Bond origin number five. Are you reading this, Connor? Uh, no, I read the first issue, but I don't really need to read James Bond comics. That, that okay. was my takeaway from reading the first issue. I've been reading James Bond comics off and on just because it's been a while since we've had a good James Bond movie, but I grew up being a huge James Bond fan. I recognize sure. that, you know, problematic character for a lot of reasons in the modern world, but this book is set in World War II, so it's back in that World War II theme that we keep touching upon. The story is by Jeff Parker and the art is by Bob Q, but they keep changing up the adventure enough with each issue that James Bond is up to something different, so he's not just doing one thing. It's not like a long slog campaign of war, you know, Band of Brothers style. It's more mm-hmm. like, oh, we were in a submarine, but then the submarine got, you know, those mines that are chained to the bottom but float. I can't yeah. I don't know what those are called. So like, oh, no, we got mines, so now we have to surface, and oh, no, we have to find a, a port. And we found a port, but there's, like, Nazis have landed their planes, and so we're gonna, so now they're hijacking a Nazi bomber. And James Bond has to use what little German he knows to figure out how to get the bombs to actually drop so they can go bomb the Nazi warship that tried that's trying to destroy their submarine. And they have to do it in such a way where the Nazis don't figure out that the plane is being flown by British. Mm. It's, it's like clever. It's kind of fun. It's not necessarily like spy stuff yet, but I think it's getting there. And uh, yeah, it's like some cool stuff about it. I don't know how accurate it is to military history about like the, the bombing mechanism in this bomber is essentially the plane has to dive right at the ship and then pull up at the last second and the bomb will fall. And it's just cool. I don't know. It's a good action story comic and uh, it makes me uncomfortable every time the Nazis use the rank that includes my last name. Is he still like a kid out of school? Because in the first issue, right, he was like going to that British Academy or whatever and then the Nazis attacked. Yeah, I'm not I'm not super clear on the timeline. I'm not sure how long he was a submariner uh, on the submarine, but he is now fully in the military and clearly being groomed for an intelligence operative by mm. but first getting some time with the enlisted on the on the boat. That makes sense. So, so that's why he doesn't know German. I was thinking a spy in World War II would would know German. But he knows more German than any of his counterparts so like he's the one who comes up with this idea and they're like but how are we gonna fly this plane we can't even read the manual and he's like "Ah, i can read some of it and (laughs) yeah amazing spider-man 13 this is part two of the short uh j jonah jameson arc drawn by ryan otley i was skeptical uh when chip zadarsky wrote the issue where peter revealed his identity to jonah that's just such a big shift in where this these two characters have been for literally decades yep and this issue, I think more than most, I'm finally coming around on it as a good idea because I think, I mean, you know, there's something to be said for the staleness of these characters because that staleness is also where we find our comfort in them maintaining their consistency over the, the, the decades. But at a certain point, 
J. Jonah Jameson's crusade against somebody who is demonstrably a hero becomes a little too reminiscent of people who are not necessarily heroes in our own world right now. You know, we live in a time where there's a lot of misinformation being spread around by Mm. some bad actors. And so I think it makes sense to distance Jonah, who is should be a good person from that sort of lifestyle. So in that, I think this started to come around for me. And I think I like where it's going. And I like seeing the relationship between Peter and Jonah develop now that Jonah has this new understanding. It's interesting because they don't really know what to do with Jonah. He's no longer runs the paper. He's got a radio show. They got rid of that. and They don't really seem to know what to do with him. I don't know. I mean, this is always a problem, I think, when you take the long-established supporting character out of their role. They sort of flounder. I didn't like the reveal when it happened. It's fine, only because it gives him something to do with Jonah. Otherwise, he's not really a factor in Peter's stories anymore, which is too bad because it was always a really fun part of it. With the cliff, not the cliffhanger, but the at the end, Nora Winters, who was a character from before, shows up. Maybe they'll figure out what to do with him. Maybe Nick Spencer has an idea. But for now, the, the sort of bummer about Spider-Man is that they don't really have a place for Jonah Jameson in the story, in my eyes. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 telling that that's one aspect that they haven't brought into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Like, right. it, it just doesn't necessarily fit with a modern Spider-Man story in the way that it might need to if you want to actually do something with it. I mean, I don't know that it doesn't fit. They just, they just decided to remove him from the paper for some reason, and now they're sort of stuck. Yeah. And so we'll see. Clearly, you know, as the cliffhanger shows, someone's capturing Spider-Man's classic villains. They're using Taskmaster, and uh, who's that other person? I never remember who that other character is. Isn't it like Killer Ant or something? You know, the bad Ant-Man to capture uh, Scorpion, and he's in jail with Vulture and Tarantula and some other people. I feel like Scorpion, shouldn't Scorpion be strong enough to just bend those bars and get out? Do I not understand Scorpion's powers well enough? Isn't just a man? I thought he had the proportionate strength of a scorpion, much like Peter has the proportionate strength of a spider. I don't know. All right. I don't know if I've ever read a delving into Scorpions freak me out, man. Scorpions are creepy. Well, they should. Yeah. I've had some experiences. Did you read Black Widow number one? Another number one issue. This is written by Jen and Sylvia Saska, a sister team, and Flaviano is the artist. This was weird. It was weird. It was like two issues crammed into one. Yes, and unlike the tonal shift in Mars Attacks, this felt very weird. So the first half of this book is Black Widow, who I forgot is supposed to be dead because I didn't didn't read that Secret Invasion story or whatever it was called, the evil Captain America story. So they delve really deeply into that where Steve has showed up at New Year's Eve and the crowd's booing him. And I was like, I hate hate everything to do with this. Intel is going to be attacked on uh, New Year's Eve, so Black Widow shows up to help, and there's a guy dressed up as Captain America who's going to lead the attack to sort of further sully his name, which I hated all that too, but that's not the fault of the story. I mean, there was an aspect of the way that the storytelling was done where I legitimately couldn't keep track of which Cap was right. which. And it's sort of lighthearted and goofy. And I thought, okay, well, that's a that's a take. You know, if you want to do it more like the Marvel movies fine if you want to make a sort of an action adventure funny yeah it felt like they were trying to do the opening of winter soldier which is fine that's a choice but then at the end of that adventure which is halfway through the issue she's black widow escapes to madripoor and now she's dealing with some people who are doing unspeakably horrible things to children and it was just a very it was a very whiplashy turn of tone and she's taken on logan's identity of patch so she's wearing an eye patch she's wearing a white suit black neckerchief scarf thing right it was a very oddly paced issue. And then it did one of those things where like the last page, 
is drawn as if it's supposed to be a reveal, but I don't know who this person is. Right. Then I am left at the end of the issue feeling like, did I either miss something or do I not have a deep enough knowledge of this character or was something else just off? And like, I don't like ending an issue on a reveal that is done in such a way where it's trying to tell me like, look at this. And I'm like, but I don't get it. That just leaves me with a weird you know, aftertaste when I'm done with the issue. Yeah, you and Josh have that same complaint. I don't necessarily care. I just assume it's just a, some, it's trouble. That's it. I just assume that. Either I know who it is or I don't, but it's trouble either way. It was, just, it was an odd issue. I didn't dislike it, but it was, I found myself scratching my head when it was over. Like you said, they crammed so much into it, you couldn't really tell what they wanted to be. So we'll give you everything. We'll give you a lighthearted, goofy cap team-up adventure, and then we'll give you a dark, disturbing Madripoor adventure, all in 22 pages. And it was weird. Yeah. I might check out another issue just to see where it goes from here. I, I, like, I like Black Widow a lot. I don't think I'm going to stick with this. Okay. All right. Those are the books we wanted to talk about, but over at patreon.com slash ifanboy, every week the patrons vote to add a book to the rundown, and this week the voting was really spread out. I think it's a very indicative of the week that we were in. A lot of books got a lot of votes, and the winner was Invaders, number one. Written by Chip Zdarsky, art by Carlos Magno and Butch Geis. I love the Invaders. I've always loved the Invaders. It's the World War II era team of Captain America, Bucky, Namor, the original Human Torch, and sometimes Wizard and other people like that. Um, Toro. Don't Toro, forget Toro. Toro and How Wizard. How dare you forget Toro. Uh, there's a bunch of them. There's a bunch of smaller, but the main characters were Cap, Bucky, Namor, and Human Torch. When I was a kid, I read the Roy Thomas books. I would, I would collect those, and I've always loved the Invaders. So I was excited to see... A new Invader series. Chip Zdarsky is an interesting choice for it. Well, going into it, I didn't have a feeling either way because I really liked his more dramatic stuff lately. This was good. It was good. It didn't feel like an issue one in a lot of ways to me. It felt like we were already partway through the story, Mm -hmm. which is not necessarily bad. I mean, so, you know, you you can drop people into a story in the middle of telling it, but I just, yeah. You got two stories going on here. One is that Jim Hammond, the original Human Torch, is writing a book about the invaders. And so he's interviewing Cap, and he's interviewing some soldiers that they fought with. So you're getting a lot of flashbacks to the war drawn by Butch Geist, and I loved all that stuff, even if he drew Cap to look like he was like 45 years old. But that's how Butch Geist draws everybody. But I loved all that stuff. And then in the middle of that, you have Namor rallying the Atlantean troops, much like an Aquaman, to come together to fight the surface world. That part is in the middle of the story. We read the sort of the beginnings of that uh, previously in, I guess, that Namor issue that Ship Zdarsky wrote. Oh, the, like the best defense? Yeah. Yeah, I didn't read that yet. So that was sort of in the middle. I mean, you, could, you can pick it up and follow it from here, but this is a continuing story from that storyline. So that would, be, that would be a little confusing if you hadn't read that. I was a little confused. And also, it's, it was a very jarring transition between the sort of classic Butch Geist art to the Carlos Magno, which is very modern. It's a very big stylistic change between the two. But I enjoyed it. And I realized I'm yes. probably grading on a curve because I love the invaders and I love these characters. But I did enjoy it. And there's also two reveals that happen in the towards the end of the issue. One is... Uh, Jim Hammond has been interviewing one of the humans, just the normal people they fought with, trying to get the outsider's perspective of like what was it like to fight as a normal soldier alongside the invaders, which is a cool idea. Yep. But then the guy's kind of not mentally all there, so he gives him a journal that he kept, and the daughter gets like very uncomfortable with that, and 
I feel like anytime you're telling a World War II story and that sort of thing starts happening, you're like, oh no, this usually only goes one way. Like, that dude's a Nazi. But instead, the reveal is that amnesiac Namor was hanging out with Charles Xavier mm-hmm. and somebody else who they don't deign to name right, right. who's mugging hard at the camera. And then the other reveal is that Namor was in love with another soldier or had a very strong feeling or relationship about this other soldier that was killed. And the advisor that he's been talking to in the modern arc where he's dealing with the other Atlanteans uh, that he's been talking to the whole time doesn't exist and is his memory of this young man, but now blue skinned and Atlantean. Yeah. So I I don't know that he was in love with him so much as it just, there were soldiers in battle and, I mean, it could be. That's not impossible. I didn't get that. I didn't get that. I got they were very close, and and so when he died, it was very... The bond was strong. Yeah, it was very you know, traumatic which... for him. So this, as we mentioned, ties a little bit into the into the Namor story in the Marvel Comics Presents in that it has to do with amnesiac Namor. So they really wanted you to remember that Namor had amnesia after the war. And then there was a weird, like, they're trying to build dramatic tension with Steve walking out on Tony Stark to deal with this as invaders business. And I'm like, why is there a conflict here? (laughs) How is this not a thing of like, Tony, just let me deal with like, I'm Captain America. I got this. And Tony, why I don't, I don't understand why Tony is acting like there's some rift between the two of them. So there were just parts of this that I felt like I wasn't reading an issue one and was missing some pieces. Um, I still enjoyed it. I still liked it. And you know, it's, it looks, it's good to look at. That was a bit of contrived tension. Yeah. But, as I said, I love these characters. I love their team. The World War II tie-in is great. So I'm in on this for, for a while. So let's do ratings. Ratings. Ratings at a five. I'm going to give it a 3.5. I'm also going to give it a 3.5. And I'm going to stick with it. I'm also going to stick with it. All right. So there you go. If you uh, want to go to patreon.com slash fanboy and vote to add a book to the rundown, that's where you can go and sign up. Also, if you want to help us out reach our next stretch goal, which is the monthly Don Comics Media Podcast, as well as uploading all of the missing video shows we did, the videos and minis, to our YouTube channel and re-embedding them on the website. That's where you can go to help us out, become a patron today. And if you're listening to the show right when it comes out Sunday, tonight's our hangout. So as we hang out once a month with our patrons for an hour, do silly nonsense, that's what you can also enjoy as a patron of the show. Additionally, ifanboy.threadless.com is where you can go check out our t-shirts, the ifanboy logo shirt, the Herm shirt, the Pick League podcast, ratings. If one is Electro, GDAT, nothing makes sense, nothing matters. And I think we have a germ of an idea we were discussing earlier this week for another shirt. Nothing concrete yet. We have something. We were playing around with it to see if we can find something we like out of it. And we'll let you know soon, as soon as that's ready. ifanboy.com slash support. Also, you can go help us out directly via PayPal if you just want to donate some money and not become a member or a patron or buy a shirt. Also, fanboy.com slash Amazon. That's where you can find links to all the books we talked about in the Booksplode, as well as a general link. And we thank everyone who does all those things to support the show. Additionally, if you're a patron, in addition to the Hangout and the voting on the patron pick, you get your own superpower if you give it the $5 or higher level at patreon.com slash ifanboy. So this week, we're going to thank some patrons. Martin Hoker Martinez is a, a patron. Thank you for being a patron, Martin. Martin's power is that when he is... Scared or threatened, he curls up to a ball and a shell appears around him. Nice. I actually know Martin, so I think you'd enjoy that. Oh, really? Yes. He uh, And he's a fellow researcher like myself and does oceanography stuff. And so I feel like, does it work underwater? Can he like make himself a little submersible? Well, he would only have the air trapped inside the shell. Okay. I mean, it's it would be watertight, but he wouldn't have a long time to breathe. Okay. He could make it a full 360 shell if he wanted to. 
That's pretty cool. He can protect himself in, in times of danger and fear. I actually interviewed Martin on my show. Oh. It's an episode with Martin. Martin Hoker Martinez. Yes. I can't remember the exact episode number, but it's one of my live at AGU shows that I do yearly at this point. Scott Thornton. This is It's funny that you know we started with an oceanographer and I didn't think about this, but uh, Scott Thornton can breathe underwater. I can't believe we haven't given out that power yet. <laughs> well, we try not to give out like regular superpowers. But I mean, if you want to, that's fine. I feel like that just it's a it's a it might not be that useful, but mm-hmm. depending on your lifestyle and, and choices you've made, but yeah, he can breathe underwater if he wants. All right, there you go. Now you're Aquaman. No, or you're Namor. not. Cause it, it has nothing. It has nothing to do with like swimming speed. He doesn't have like the dense skin. Like the only thing he can do is breathe underwater. Is it all water? Is it chlorinated water? Chlorinated water probably doesn't feel very good. Mm-hmm. Does he have gills? Behind his ears. All right. But still has lungs, much like a lungfish. So he can still breathe air normally. Um, he does have gills. The gills can get damaged. So like if he gets punched in the ear, you know that that could damage his gills. And then. You know, the, the chlorine's not good for the gills. Like, if a fish if a fish would have trouble surviving in it, he's going to have trouble. Okay. So, okay. So, all right. But salt, wa- salt water, fresh water, chlorinated water, all of it works. Uh, I, think, I think just fresh water because he's human. Okay. That's a good distinction. Because salt water, you know, if you can't, if, if he can drink it safely, yeah, that's the cut. That's the limitation. If he can drink it safely, then he can breathe in it, assuming it has dissolved oxygen in it. Like it's not it's not a magical power where he can just breathe underwater. Like there has to be dissolved oxygen in the water for him to extract in the same way a fish would if a fish was living in that water. All right, so f- Scott can breathe in fresh water. Yeah. Okay. Non-chlorinated fresh water. All right. He can breathe in chlorinated water, it just hurts. Chris Marino always his his fruit is always fresh. So what I mean by that is by holding or touching a piece of fruit, it automatically becomes fresh and ripe. Does this work in either direction? Like, can he pick up rotten fruit? Yeah. It returns to peak freshness. Okay. And he, uh, he just has to pick it up and hold it? Yeah, just touches it. Touches it. Okay. Mm-hmm. What if it's like, what if it's cooked into something? No, 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 no. This is... Okay, so this is unmodified fruit. Yeah, and also, he it's not like he, it's automatic. He, he, he you know... He makes it happen. Okay. He consciously makes the fruit ripe. So it's not like he, when he's eating food or whatever with fruit in it, it suddenly gets all fucked up. No. Because that's, sort of, that's sort of what happened to the pie man in that Pushing Daisy show. I know. I know. Okay. All right. It's a good show. It was a good show. Then he became Ronan, the <laughs> accuser. <laughs> Robert Camerata. If Robert is within 100 yards of another iFanboy patron, he steals their power. Oh, shit. Whoa. What happens to them? For that period of time, they don't have their power as long as they're within 100 yards. Oh, so he doesn't take it permanently. He just takes it while he's close by. Exactly. Wow. And he he can take more than one power at a time. So if there was a comic book convention where 100 iFanboy patrons showed up, he would suddenly have 99 powers and everyone else would have none. (laughs) Wow. You might have one the powers and the thing is some of the powers you've given out are not blessings so he could hire himself out is like do you need a, a hour-long break from teddy roosevelt talking to your head or whatever one of those weird <laughs> ones you've given out is <laughs> right who would want can, that though you would you who would want the break 
maybe you just need a break and he can <laughs> he he has a service he can provide where you you come hang out with him, you know, even at like the same football game mm-hmm. and you get a you get a respite from your power if you need it. Wow. All right. Well, thank you, Martin, Scott, Chris, and Robert. If you want to become a patron, get your own superpower, patreon.com slash ifanboy and give it the five dollar higher level and get one on the show. And we're long, so we're gonna skip the audience questions, but we'll be back next week. Contact at ifanboy.com is where you can write in to get on the show. Let's plug some stuff. So good news, everyone. Josh recorded the Talksplode, and it comes out this week, which is exciting for us and for everyone. He talked to Brian Edward Hill, one Ooh, of our cool. favorite new writers. I didn't know that. That will be out this week. On the, You can look for that on the feed right after this show. I haven't heard it yet because he just did it, but he said they went longer than normal, so that should be an interesting conversation. And also, uh, our book explodes coming up. That's next week. We'll, you'll find us talking about Avengers West Coast Epic Collection, How the West Was Won, which is basically the introduction of the West Coast Avengers. That will be coming out next Thursday, I believe. So sometimes, I think it'll be coming out the last day of the month. That's because the book is 500 pages and it's taking a long time to read. So thanks to the patrons for unlocking the Talksplodes and the Booksplodes. Those are our monthly shows that they added to our, our feeds by unlocking them at patreon.com slash ifanboy. So thank you for that. And I believe we're going to be reading a shorter book for the next Booksplode because this was very long. Nice. Uh, I do a podcast called Science Sort of where me and some of my science themed friends get together and have a beer and talk about science. And uh, we're coming up with a bit of a milestone. We're coming up on episode 300. Woo. We've already recorded it. It comes out next week. Uh, pretty excited to have have made it this far into the podcasting game. Coming up on 10 years. So That I'll is never... incredible. You should be very proud of it considering how many shows. Is pod fading still a thing? I've not, I've not heard the term in a long time, but... I still know it and know what it means and know what you're talking about. But yeah, where a podcast starts strong and then kind of just doesn't keep going. Yeah, it's hard to do, yeah. hard to keep up. So congratulations to you for that. That's thanks. A, quite and, a milestone. Yeah. And thanks to all the, I know we have a significant Venn diagram of people who uh, have come over to the show from my fanboys. So I, I can't imagine the show would be as, as successful as it has been without the support of the awesome people at iFanboy. So I just want a special shout out to all y'all listening here because I know that you're doing the big work and helping me make it happen. Head over to iFanboy.com so you can find all of our shows, including all of our books, blows, and talks, blows. If you haven't heard those before, they're also all there on the feed, including our special edition shows that Ryan often shows up on. And I guess we'll be having another animated show soon with the second part of the with Reign of the Supermans coming out soon. So we can look for that sometime in the future. I need I really need to start delving into the calendar now that we're in January. It's been a it's been a long couple of weeks to start the year off. So I'll get I'll get on top of that. But that'll oh, has it? Soon. Are you are you living in a town that's shut down? <laughs> no. <laughs> tell you what, that's not making it feel like it's going any faster. So look, <laughs> you look for that at some point soon. Ryan and Paul and I will be talking about that. That'll be at fanboy.com. You can also find out what the pick of the week is before the show comes out by liking facebook.com slash ifanboy or following us at, on Twitter at ifanboy. You can follow us individually at jflanagan on Twitter and Instagram, at cskilpatrick on Instagram, and I think I got this right, at haupt on Twitter and at Ryan Haupt on Instagram. Yes, that is correct. That was off the top of my head. So I don't do a ton on Instagram. I need to do more on Instagram. It seems like a it seems like a fun place. If you dig the show, write a review or leave a star rating on iTunes. Even if you don't get this podcast on iTunes, I'm telling you, most people get most of their podcasts from iTunes. So if that's the that's the place where you going and giving a rating or review has the biggest impact yes. for other people finding the show. The vast majority. Um, yes. Or, better yet, tell your friends, uh, if you need to take your friend's phone from them, <laughs> open their podcasting app, subscribe to iFanboy and Science Sort of, and then hand the phone back to them. That is an excellent technique. They might not ever know. Just Yeah. Do, yeah. And then one day they'll Just have all this podcast be like, oh, I've got a lot of content to listen to. <laughs> one day they'll go to take a photo, and they'll be told their phone is out of room. 
<laughs> because they've got 666 iFanboys backlog to go listen to. Yeah, and help us spread the iFanboy love, especially to... Can, can I say happy birthday to Mike Romo? Yes, you can. I'm going to spread out some love to Mike Romo right now by saying happy birthday, Mike Romo. Yes, one of our old columnists and sometimes podcast guests. This is his birthday this week. Happy birthday. I hope he's enjoying the bottle of rum I got him. Ooh. So uh, that's it for this week's show. Thanks, Ryan, for jumping on for Josh, who was scared of the sign of the beast. Yes. And so, Well, I've, I'm sitting here in my salt circle. Nothing has <laughs> penetrated the barrier. So now that we're wrapping things up, I'm going to light a candle, and I'll, I'll see you next time. All right. Until then, I'm Connor. I'm Ryan. Though my eyes can see, I still was a blind man.